Hello and welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. You know, one of our most well-received type of podcast episodes is missionary stories. Yes, you heard it right. It's missionary stories. And I wonder at times why that is. Naturally, it's awesome to hear what God does. Wouldn't you agree? It shows our mission is alive, our God is at work, our lives are spent well. We love to hear how God moves in special ways in missionaries' lives, in the people who we might even know. But you see, those movements, those actions, usually do not happen despite of who we are, despite of what our characters are like. Although sometimes that definitely might be the case. But most often, our Lord is in an intricate dialogue with us. His actions are a response to our actions. Our small sacrifices open doors to bigger miracles. Our genuine and disinterested love invokes unusual and surprising responses from our Savior. Have you experienced that? In that sense, most big breakthroughs and miracles are made of smaller steps in our relationship with our God. We do something right, God is immediately there with another opportunity for us to do something else right again. And you see, today's story is a wonderful testimony of what God intends to do in any of our lives. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. I'm your host, Alex Ott, and today's interview will be with Roger Dunder. Roger is principal of Maxwell Adventist Academy, which is in Kenya. Historically, the Maxwell Academy has been a choice destination for many missionary families. They would send their kids there for high school education. I know it's Roger's and his team's great aspiration to make sure that that academy continues to provide this kind of service to the Adventist missionary community. But that in itself is a topic of a different podcast episode. Today, however, Roger shares a story that happened in the past in his missionary journey with the Lord. It will be a story of God's goodness and actions, like I've said in the introduction. As you listen to this episode, friends, Try to pick out those moments where it is evident that this whole story is a sequence of God's actions, where each part is made possible as a response to what Roger did or didn't do. Now, with that, let us jump straight into the interview itself, straight into the story. Roger, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, so right now we are at the Mission Institute session. And the other day you have shared with our group of missionaries a tremendous story. We all really enjoyed it. And we thought that it would be great to share that story with our wider community of Adventist missionaries. So if you would please tell the story. Yeah, I would be happy to. It's a 
wonderful story that has strengthened my faith, and I think it'll be a blessing to others, so I'm happy to share it. So how did it all begin? Well, I was a teacher at Tanzania Adventist Seminary and College just outside of Arusha in the country of Tanzania, and that particular school had a theology program, a two-year theology program, and we had students there that were very, very committed to witnessing. They would pretty much on a regular basis go on Friday, walk about five hours over the mountain to a small village where they held Bible studies. And they did this week after week, week after week. And I was touched and impressed with their commitment. The place where they were going, actually, I would call it kind of a hardship area. It was not an easy place to go. And they would spend Friday and Sabbath there giving Bible studies. So when they came to me on our long break in December and asked me to help them with an evangelistic series, I felt pretty much compelled because of their commitment. I mean, how could I say no? So I agreed that I would assist them. It turns out that I had the only car in that area at that time. This was, if I remember the year correctly, it was probably around 1991. Mm -hmm. I had the only vehicle and they had nobody else to approach. There were roughly, I think there were six young theology students, as I'm remembering. And they wanted me to transport them along with supplies to this village. It required me to go down off the edge of Mount Meru, down into the valley, around the side of the mountain, and then back up to the village. It was quite a drive over some bad roads. So I agreed, I took them there, and then of course they needed supplies. So I had to buy food, kerosene lanterns, pressure kerosene lanterns, so they could light up the venue for the evening meetings, water, just everything they would need to sustain them, I had to provide. And of course, that meant, since these folks were quite poor, they wanted me to also provide the funding for all of that, which I agreed to do. And so the meetings were to last about two weeks. So after I dropped them off there, roughly every two days, I would have to go to Arusha, buy supplies, and then take these supplies back to them and replenish their water, replenish their kerosene, their food, and basically sustain them in this evangelistic series. Roughly at the end of the first week, they came to me with an idea. They said, Mr. Dunder, we really would love to give books to our newly baptized members after the conclusion of the meetings. It's not a bad idea, I would say. No, actually, it's a great idea, and I totally agreed with the idea. The problem was, they said, could you buy the books? Right. And I have been, you know, driving the vehicle, putting diesel in, you know, buying food, buying fuel, buying supplies, and this has been going on for days now. And I know the Bible says, do not tire of doing good, right? However, I begin to think in my mind, Lord, isn't there anything that you can do, anybody else that could contribute to this? Is there no way that somebody else can be involved? Is it only me? The whole burden has to fall on my back. And I say burden, makes me a little embarrassed to say that, but I think you follow what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Because the finances, you know, day after day, it was mounting up. The logistical so, support that you've been giving. Yes. Them. So I told the gentlemen that were holding the meetings that let's pray about this. God can provide the funding for these books. It doesn't have to be me. Well, they were kind of skeptical. They kind of scratched their heads a bit and like, well, 
nobody has any money around here, so how do you propose this is going to happen? I said, well, God has ways. Let's just pray. And so they agreed. I came back a couple of days later, and they were like, okay, so have you bought the books yet? And I'm like, well, I don't have the funding yet, so how would I buy them? But what I did do, I told them, I will talk to the ABC manager, and we will get the books ready to go. As I recall, we were going to give a Bible, Desire of Ages, and I think Great Controversy, as I recall. It's been quite a while now, but it was a couple of big boxes of books for all these newly baptized members. So I said, we'll put those on hold. We'll have them ready to go, but we'll continue to pray. So I came back a couple of days later, and this was now like Thursday, and they were like, Mr. Dunder, have you bought the books? And I was like, not yet, but are you praying? I said, I'm praying. Are you praying? He's like, yes, yes, we're praying. And I said, well, you pray earnestly because, you know, the week's almost up. The meetings were to conclude on Sabbath. And then on Sunday, I was to go pick them up, bring the books, and that would conclude the whole process. So I went home that evening, Thursday evening, and You basically had Friday. Yeah, we're left with Friday. So I prayed about it, and they prayed about it, and Friday morning came, and there was somebody that came to my door. Just before you continue, Roger, you're just now stepping into the next portion of your story. I just want to mention that this is fascinating, that you being a teacher, a professional, working in an educational institution, there is a situation, but you have felt, had felt at the moment that you know, it's something worthwhile to participate in local outreach and discipleship activities, evangelism activities. And this is probably a good model for us as Adventist missionaries, even if we are in all kinds of professional settings, to try to set aside a portion of our time to be part of those kind of things that are going on. Absolutely. My view of education is that if we're not service-minded, then we're really not fulfilling the calling that we have in Adventist education. We want all of our students to see service as a very significant component to what we do and why we do it. So, yes, as a teacher, I can't tell you the number of times that I ran ambulance runs in the middle of the night and took people to the hospital. I even helped with a surgery one time. That is probably a different (laughs) story. A different story, but yes, as a teacher... We were often called upon, I was often called upon to do things that were kind of outside of the normal realm of what you would expect. So it's Friday morning, and I hear Hodi at the front door. Hodi. What's that? Hodi is like, knock, knock. Who's there? Is anybody home? So I went to the door, and our nurse practitioner from the small clinic was there with a man and a woman. And they looked very sober. And he said, Mr. Dunder, he said, this father and mother here brought their baby last night to our clinic. They traveled all through the night coming from the other side of Arusha National Park to the clinic with their baby who had malaria. He said, unfortunately, the baby didn't make it. The child has died and they're grief stricken. Could you please take them home? Now, you have to understand the college was right on the edge, still is located right on the edge of Arusha National Park. So this couple had come by bicycle carrying their child through you know, the realm of wild animals, and it was a rough place to go through, and a long distance at that. I felt really bad for them, so I agreed. I said, sure, I'll take them home. 
So we wrapped the baby in a blanket, put the child in the back of the Land Cruiser, and we proceeded to take them home. Silence the whole way. They never said a word. And it was a long, long trek. We went through rivers, over very rough, rocky roads, up ravines where the water had washed out big ditches. We finally arrived, and as soon as the mother stepped out of the vehicle, she let out this wail. It was just heartbreaking. So they took their child, and I proceeded to come home. And, of course, I had to pass through the game park. Again, so, on the way Again, back. on the way back. So I'm driving along, and I come by a herd of buffalo. I still remember this big herd of buffalo. And, you know, African buffalo are nothing to mess with. They're very mean. They kill lots of people. They're very dangerous. And I pass this herd of buffalo, come around the corner, and to my total amazement and shock, I found a group of six or seven tourists sitting in the middle of the road. And I'm looking around like, where's the vehicle? They have no car there. They are alone in the middle of this wilderness with buffalo just behind them. And I am mystified. Why are you here? So I stopped, obviously, and I asked them, what are you doing here in this strange place? You know, this is dangerous. You're crazy. They're like, oh, well, we thought we would walk to Arusha. You thought it'd be a nice hike. We just come down off of Mount Meru. We hiked up to the top of the mountain, which, by the way, is just under 15,000 feet, a very big mountain. So and, they were tired, probably. Yeah, I'm sure they were tired. And this had been their dream vacation, I suppose. And they said they wanted to walk to Arusha. And I told them, this is not a good idea. You need to let me transport you down to the highway which is over an hour ride from where we were. It's a long distance. So we piled them all into the truck and proceeded to take them down the mountain, which was actually beyond where we lived. We had to pass the school and then continue another seven kilometers to take them to the highway. So I reached the highway, showed them where the buses would pick them up, how to go to Arusha, and then I headed home. By this time, it's almost evening. It's late in the day. This has been an all-day endeavor, and it took a lot of time. I reached home, and I went to put the vehicle in the garage. I had a rough lumber garage to put the car in, just so I made sure I had tires the next day. You know, So I went to put the vehicle in the garage, and as I drove in to the garage, I looked back, and I saw on the rear seat of the vehicle, I saw a beautiful camera sitting there. Can you imagine? I was like, oh these guys, they left their camera, and it was a really nice camera. I picked it up. It was in a case. The case had like five or six rolls of exposed film. This was in the days of film. And I felt so bad for them. I thought, oh no, this is all their pictures from their climb up the mountain. They're going to be so sad. I noticed that on the top of the camera, there was a name carved into it. Somebody, the, the owner had taken a sharp instrument and scratched their name into the case of the camera. And I still remember, the name was Nix, N-I-X, and these tourists were from the UK. So, you know, I picked up the camera, I went in the house, and I told my family, I said, you know, I just feel impressed. Sounds like you got a camera for yourself. <laughs> well, you know, I thought for a moment, oh, I just inherited a beautiful camera. But then I was like, no, I can't do that. We have to go to Arusha tomorrow, which is about a 45-minute drive. And how big is the city? I think the population that time, I might be off a bit, but I think it was around a million. There's a large population around the base of Mount Meru there at Arusha. 
You uh, definitely got yourself a new camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told my family, I said, we will worship in Arusha tomorrow for church. And by chance, if God wills it, we'll find these group of tourists and find Nick's and return his camera to him. Mm-hmm. And so we agreed, yes, that's what we'll do. We got up early, traveled to Arusha, and made sure we were there, you know, at least an hour before the start of Sabbath school, and proceeded to drive around the town and look for this group of tourists and saw nobody. So I said, well, let's go to the hotels. So we started going to all the hotels that I figured perhaps a tourist might stay at, you know. So we went to one after the next. I described the group and nothing came up. We found nobody. And I was rather discouraged, but I prayed about it. I said, Lord, you know, we've tried. If this isn't your will that we find them, then we'll head on to church. So I came up to the clock tower in the center of Arusha and swung around that roundabout and was just swinging off of it to head toward where the church is at the union headquarters. And I saw out of the corner of my eye somebody that looked like they were from the UK, possibly. And so I thought, oh, let me go around again. So I went on around the circle one more time, pulled up beside this gentleman, and I recognized him as one of the group. I was ecstatic. I was like, okay, I found one of the members of the group. So I said, I'm looking for Nick's. And he said, well, that's me. I'm Nick's. And I said, might you be looking for this? And I handed him the camera. He was overjoyed, ecstatic, so happy. He said, I was sure that I left that camera lying on the ground back there in the game park. And I just knew I would never see it again. So we talked for a little bit and then he noticed that we were dressed up. Right. He was like, uh, you know, my son was there. He had his tie on and he was looking all sharp, ready for Sabbath school. And he was like, are you guys going to a wedding? I mean, what is this? You're dressed up. And I said, no, we're on our way to church. And he was like, church? But it's Saturday. Why are you going to church on Saturday? I said, well, we're Seventh-day Adventists and we worship on Saturday. So that sparked a whole new conversation. I told him a little bit about what I knew about the Adventist work in the UK. And we talked for a moment, and then I was ready to leave. I said, well, we'll go on to our church service now. Glad we could help out. Proceeded to leave. And then he said, stop, stop, stop. Wait, wait, wait. He said, I need to pay you for bringing this camera to me. And I was like, no, we're not accepting any payment. This was our pleasure. You know, it's just something we wanted to do because we couldn't bear to see you lose your camera and all your film. And he insisted, and I refused, and he insisted, and I refused. Finally, he gave up. He was like, well, okay, if you really won't take anything, fine, but I really wish I could pay you. So I proceeded to leave again, and then he stopped me a second time. He says, stop, stop, stop. He says, if you won't take any money, he says, how about if I give to your church? Would you accept that? Exactly. And all of a sudden, it popped. I still remember the books, though, right? <laughs> well, it just came to my mind. I hadn't even thought about the books. It was like not even on my mind. And then when he said, give to your church, all of a sudden it came to my mind, the books. Yeah, we could sure use some money for those books. And we've been praying for that. And so he took out his wallet. I said, sure, we'll accept that. He took out his wallet and he began to count out bills, big bills. And I was tempted to say, I think that'll be enough. But then I thought, no, just 
let him count whatever God impresses him to give. And he counted and counted and counted a bit more. And then there was a stack of money. And he said, I think maybe this is enough. And he handed it to me. And I thanked him. And we drove off. And you know, we counted that money. And it was just the amount we needed for the books. For the books. Absolutely. Just the amount needed for the books. We were ecstatic. I mean, what a miracle. If you stop and you add it all up, I had never before been asked to drive through the game park to take a child, you know, that had died and their parents back home. Once in my whole six years there, this is the only time anything like that happened. Never in my life have I seen tourists trying to walk through a game park with no guard, no gun, nothing. Again, very unusual circumstance. So you put those two together and you say, what is the likelihood that these two events would occur on the same, on the day. same day? Very small, next to zero chance, right? And then you add to that the fact that I actually found this man in this big city with all these people. Just as I was ready to give up, there he was. And the person out of the, the group, he was the one. Again, small chance. And then you factor onto that the fourth thing, that the money that he gave was exactly the amount. If this that's, is providence. This is providence, Roger. Absolutely. There is no way that anybody will ever tell me that's all chance. No way. So Sunday came. I took the books to the family there, and or to the to, to the, the town, and to the, the, town, to the little village, actually, to the, the students that were conducting the meetings, and I told them this story. What a boost to their faith, you know? They had thought that only Mr. Dunder is going to get these books. There's no other way. And then I tell them what happened in answer to their prayers and my own prayers. Absolutely inspiring. I was energized, let me tell you. I was energized. So we told that story. The people who received the books were also inspired to know that God had provided in such a miraculous way. Roger, how did that day finish when the evangelistic campaign came to a close and all that? <laughs> so what happened then? Well, you know, now here's where the rubber meets the road. Was I going to be a real missionary or not? Before I left there, this is at the village where the meetings were held, the local people said, before you leave, we need to feed you. Out of respect, you know, and thankfulness, we need to offer you some food. And you have to understand, you know, I'm not afraid to eat with the local people. I've done it so many times. But this was a very primitive place. Economically, it was quite depressed. Mud huts, not a real sanitary environment. So I was a little hesitant and thought about it. And I said, well, okay. And I told the students, I said, just tell them privately that I'm a vegetarian. I just would prefer not to eat any meat, but I'll be happy to eat what they a bring. A very nice indirect way of yeah. uh, sharing your preference. Yeah. With I went around. I didn't tell them directly. I said, you know, quietly, just talk to them a bit about my dietary preferences. And they were good with that. So they brought out my meal. And initially, I thought we're all going to eat. I thought that the people who had held the meetings would be eating, the students, as well as myself. And then I discovered so, that I'm the only one who's going to eat, and they're going to watch. How is that? Why, <laughs> why would this be the case? I, well, I don't know. I think that they felt that I was the respected one or something, and so this needed to happen. So they brought out boiled eggs, and I thought, that'll work. Normally, I don't eat eggs, but in this circumstance, I was delighted to eat an egg. And then they brought me a glass of milk. And the milk was fresh from the cow. Cream on top. The best of the best. Of the best of the best, fresh, you know. 
The only problem was when I went to drink the milk, I looked into the cup there and there was a fly floating in the cream. He had gotten a little too close and got stuck in the cream. And so I thought, okay. So I've already prayed. I've asked God to bless. He's worked this fantastic miracle. And I'm like, Lord, I know you'll protect me through this. Because you know, fresh milk can carry TB. They're a risk to drinking unpasteurized milk. And of course, the fly. So I swirled that milk around until the fly stuck on the edge of the cup. And then I drank the milk and left the fly. And we left. And that's the story. I just want to point out a couple of things, Please, though. that would be very nice. You know, what I've learned is two things. Number one, when you go out onto the devil's territory and start taking ground from him, that's the time, you know, particularly evangelism. That's the time you will see God work miracles. I've seen it more than once. And when you put yourself out there and give of yourself sacrificially, and it's for his glory and his cause, winning others to Christ, he will work miracles. That's the first lesson that is stuck in my mind up to this day. The second thing is, if you want to see God at work, then you need to be willing to give of yourself like Christ gave. If you're not willing to give of yourself, if I had seen that mother and father there at my door and thought, oh, Friday, I had these plans. I need to get ready for Sabbath. I've got papers to grade for my math class. I had all these things lined up for the day, and this is an interruption. And had I just dismissed them and said, no, you'll need to look for another way home. I'm busy today. This would have never happened. If you don't give of yourself, don't expect God to do great things. He does great things when you go out and you walk in his steps and do what he did. You know, if you're a blessing to people and you give of yourself, that's the time you're going to see God work real miracles. Roger, thank you so much for the story and also the lessons that you brought out for yourself. And this is something that empowers us as colleagues, as Adventist missionaries out there to experience similar things with God as we serve. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, it was my pleasure. God bless you and God bless our listeners. Now, dear listener, would you like to share your story? Perhaps there is a particular aspect of cross-culture Adventist missionary service that you are passionate about. Or perhaps, as the Lord puts certain thoughts and feelings in your heart and mind, you would feel moved to share. Well, if you are, there are several ways you can do that. Number one, if you like to write, we accept articles for the IWM blog. Or if it's easier for you to be interviewed and you would like to share a story or discuss a topic on the IWM podcast interview, it is possible. In both cases, write to me at otta at gc.adventist.org. I would love to talk to you about this. Now, as we finalize this episode, let me remind you that if you are not yet subscribed, if you haven't yet subscribed to the IWM podcast, we invite you to do just that. Once you do subscribe, in your app of choice, you will receive and automatically download our episodes to your phone. Next week, friends, we'll turn back to our series on family and marriage for missionaries. Cheryl Doss, my boss and IWM director, who also happens to have a lifetime of experience as a missionary, will be back with another installment in that particular series. With that, 
My name is Alex Ott, and I'll be very happy to see you next week. Mm-hmm.